Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four children. And if you know our story, we've said yes to seven placements. We did try adopting through the foster care system, but ended up adopting through private infant adoption. We traveled state to state for about six to seven years as we devoted our lives to our growing family. It took everything we had, travel, time, finances, We went through crooked lawyers, scams, you name it, we went through it. But we learned so much. You can hear our full story in season one. And if you've been with us a long time, you know that we even went through an adoption while doing the show. It was adoption in real time. We didn't know if we were going to bring home that baby, but we ended up getting our daughter's biological sibling and she just turned five. Can you believe it? That means we're coming up on six years of adoption now, and we're in season six. Thank you for making this show so successful by listening, supporting us through your giving, and writing in your stories. Okay, I'm excited about this episode. Our guest is an adopted person from Canada. She also is an author of a book called Let's Talk About Adoption and Kinship. It's a book on how to explain adoption to children. Lynn Deulis, welcome to the show. Thank you, April. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Did you know Canada was the first country to make us an international podcast? I did not know that. I know. Back, I think it was 2016, maybe 2017. It was our first interview. We were super excited. So we love Canada. See how smart we are? You are so smart. We had a great (laughs) time on our pre-interview, didn't we, Lynn? We did. We did. You are so quick-witted and so funny. And I'm excited for everyone to hear your story. We'll talk about your book in a second, but first let's talk about your adoption story. Hey, where do you want to start? Well, why did your parents choose adoption? So um, my mother had had uh, some back trouble and uh, what would happen is she could become pregnant, but couldn't carry. And um, she was actually at church one day and uh, there was a missionary who talked about adoption. And she just kind of looked at my dad and said, so why don't we look at that? And uh, now we're going back. I was born in 1958, so we're going back for a while. Um, And adoption wasn't, you know, as talked about or as common as we are familiar with it today. So I think, quite honestly, they just hadn't thought of it as an option. And then, you know, so they uh, put in an application for two girls. Um, Sorry, sorry, because they ended up with my brother. So, uh, you know, sorry, sorry for their luck. But... (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so they, they really wanted to, uh, to, to raise children, um, no matter how that journey began. And so they adopted your brother first. They did. They did. They got a call for a two and a half year old boy. And uh, so they just weren't, you know, they just, they looked at his needs and not the, the gender thing. They just thought of this little two and a half year old boy that uh, needed a family and they, they signed up. You know, I wanted two boys as well. So... Right? I know what it's like to put your order in and not get, yeah, yeah. and I have three girls. Right. I have one boy and three girls. So, you know, God knows how it should end up. But they brought home your brother. And how long after did they get you? Probably about a year and a half later. And were you a baby? I was nine months old. Yeah. Okay. In those days, there was a one year probationary period. So they couldn't reapply before the first year anyway. And so you were nine months. I was nine months. 
does your parents know any of your backstory? I know that you found it out later, but when you came to their home, what were they told? Very minimally, they were uh, told that, well, they were called and, and uh, you know, my mother admits that once they said it was a baby girl, she stopped listening a little bit. But uh, when they actually met with the worker, the um, basically they were told that uh, I was born um, to a young mom who had had a baby before me, a baby boy that was kept by the birth family. And I'll air quote here, they didn't want to encourage that behavior. So they insisted that she uh, go away and have uh, the second baby, who was me, and place that baby on adoption. So they were told um, I had a, a little medical issue, so I needed a, a, a surgery when they when I arrived at their home. So they had to make all those arrangements. Um, so they were more focused on that, I think, than anything else. Um, there wasn't a lot of family history. I'm not quite sure even if they knew like, uh, you know, any culture, any kind of that information, um, you know, very minimal. She just, uh, you know, they, there wasn't that information given in those days. So what was your upbringing like? Well, I was um, raised in Cochrane, Ontario. So um, a very small community, uh, gateway to, um, um, we had a lot of tourists as I was growing up because there's a uh, train here called the Polar Bear Express. And it goes from Cochrane to Moosini, Moose Factory. Well, it doesn't go to Moose Factory, um, but tourists can go uh, uh, up there. So um, very, uh, very strong Indigenous influence in my upbringing. Um, and uh, I, I went on the Polar Bear Express oh, 14 times mm-hmm. one summer. I used <laughs> to go with uh, any, any family that came up to go on the train. I was there. Um, absolutely loved it. So small Northern Ontario community. Um, I was just reminiscing this morning that my brother and I used to go down to the uh, parking lot of the railway and just check out the license plates because they were from all over North America. And I remember thinking we would both talk, we'd pick out the biggest, richest cars and say, well, that's probably my birth parents' car. (laughs) So we'd always look for the biggest and the best, right? Okay. You knew you were adopted. Always knew I was adopted. Did you ask questions? I don't really remember being told. Yes. Oh, questions. Yes. So. I don't really remember actually being told. I do remember climbing out of the tub one day and my mom was holding a big towel waiting for me. And I remember saying, what does adopted mean again? And so her explanation was when one mother uh, can give birth to a baby, but can't look after it. And so she gives it to a, a, a mother who can. And that was her explanation. Uh, not great, not great by today's standards, but that's what, uh, that's what she said. And then, but my mom was always very, I would, I recognize now as a little bit insecure. So um, if I would ask questions about adoption, she wasn't insecure in her role as my mom. She was insecure in the fact she had no information. So when I would ask questions, she would be deer in the headlights because mm-hmm. very awkward. She didn't know, you know, what to say. She didn't know if I could even find that out, all of that. So, uh, so I stopped asking, stopped really talking about it mm-hmm. with, with my parents. And how did that make you feel? Well, it was, I mean, who do you want to talk to about anything, right? Is your parents. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just, I mean, but you also, who do you not ever want to hurt is your parents. Mm-hmm. So it's a bitter, it's a bittersweet. Like I wanted to know the stuff. And then, you know, kind of as I grew, I just kept thinking, well, maybe when I'm, when I'm older, I will be able to find this stuff out. Or maybe when I'm older, I'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to tell my mom the answers because clearly she didn't know the answers. 
I think that's really hard because when I hear your story about the deer and headlights, I so identify mm-hmm. with that as an adoptive mom, right? It's like that mm-hmm. moment where you're being asked questions that you might not know the answers to, or if you do, it might be hurtful to the child. And so you're not sure, is this the right time? Should I say it? And you just feel overwhelmed. And so it's easier to not say anything, right? I know why parents did that back in the day. It's like, it's just easier to just give a simple answer. And then we go on with our simple life and everything is fine, but it's not, it's not helpful to the child. No. And and just as a parent, as a parent, you're supposed to know everything, aren't you? You know, so to not have answers as a parent is awkward um, to, you know, and when it has to do with your child's genealogy or your child's, you know, birth, birth history, that's even more awkward, I feel. Mm-hmm. I try to recognize that I have different roles for my kids, that I am their mom and the mom in me wants to protect them, right? Wants to just say, everything's fine, honey. Let's go back to having fun as a family. But then there's this other role of having to educate my child, to be truthful to my child. And in that way, I I sometimes have to disassociate from being full on loving mom. I have to go into this different role of, I need to talk to you about some really hard things. And I don't want you to think I'm taking them personally because when you said insecure, that is so true. If you are insecure about how much the child loves you, or maybe you suffered loss before and you want this child just to love you, right? It's just your child and you just love the child so much. I get that. Mm -hmm. But you have to be secure that it's like the boomerang, right? If you let the boomerang go, hopefully it's going to come back to you. But you have to throw the boomerang. I mean, you have to let the child know and take that risk and answer those questions. And my hope is that they will boomerang back to me, that we have built that attachment. Yeah. Well, and the security, you know, the insecurity, I think, is, is not all internal. It's external as well, right? With a lot of times adoptive moms, you know, um, one of the things we talked about in our in our uh, sort of our pre conversation was uh, children of their own. How much that just irritates me. It irritated me my whole life that people would say, "Oh, there's you know, Lynn and Danny, uh, Eddie and Leona adopted them because they couldn't have children of their own." Mm. Such a confusing statement, you know, to a child. Wait a second, if I'm not my parents' kid, whose kid am I? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so if the society doesn't recognize you as a parent, I mean, there's way improvement now, but, you know, at the time I was growing up, I felt that, if, you know, if, if no one else accepted them as my mom and dad, well, that's confusing. They are my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's part of my mom's insecurity from back then right. was that she never was truly allowed to feel completely my mom, which is ridiculous. It is. It is. I can, I can so understand that, especially in the very beginning when you're taking the child to the doctor and yeah. you are just a new parent, they can treat you also like you're not the mom. You don't really know what you're doing. You clearly didn't birth this child. And then you start to feel like, oh, should I, how do I step in? How do I care? You know, and you start getting those questions in your mind, but being really secure that this is your baby is what the child needs. They need a secure parent. They also need parents that stop that kind of language. Stop people from saying your own children. Yep. We stop that all the time. Yep. We say, oh, you mean biological? Do you mean biological children? 
we don't have biological children, but we do have children. There are children and stopping that. And then people will start to kind of go, oh, yeah, no, I meant biological. You know, they don't even realize they're saying it. I, I was just reading a book and I apologize to the author. It, uh, the name escapes me. But um, it, what it said is, uh, you know, uh, when I'm with my foster mom, people ask them, which ones are my are her real kids? Mm-hmm. And she says, I have I don't have any imaginary children. They're all my real children. <laughs> I love that line. I love it. When I read it, I thought, isn't that right? I don't have any imaginary children. They're all my real children. They're all my real (laughs) children. So there you go. I remember one time someone stopped me and said, oh, is this your daycare? Lily was about four and she stepped in front of the cart and she put her hands on her hips and she said, no, we're all her real kids. Good for her. (laughs) Like, no, I'm not in a daycare. This is my real mom. It was really, it was really cute. And we get questions like that a lot, but- I I do identify with some of the things you're saying with the struggles and then hopefully can build that gap to push parents into the new understanding. How do we be better, right? How do we do better? How do we understand what the child needs? And that's why your voice is so, so important, Lynn. That's why you coming on the show is so important for us because we need to hear what you needed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And part of the, you know, and not, like I just want to delve into the book for a second because it's timely right here is that there isn't nowhere in the book that says ask mom or dad in the book. It says, who can help me to find this answer? I mean, paraphrasing of course. Right. So it's a matter of, there is an answer out there, but you know, who's best to help me find that answer. So it might be grandma might be, Mm -hmm. you know, there might be openness involved might be, you know, so it's not just on mom and dad, because mom and dad don't always know the answers, Mm -hmm. you know, or mom and mom or dad and dad, or, you know, the the, the parents or the parents are the parents. And, you know, I I guess the difference, the other difference is that we can't say, you know, as much as we'd like to go ask your other parents, (laughs) when they ask us a hard question. We can't do that, right? Because it doesn't help because <laughs> they have the same social medical history that, uh, you know, we both read the same documents. Right. So, Well, I love that in your book, you are starting conversations. You're not telling the child what to say. You're starting a conversation about their story and letting them think about what they're even thinking about, right? Sometimes they don't even know how to verbalize mm-hmm. some of the things that are in their little heads. I mean, how truly can we tell a child their story when it's their story? Mm-hmm. It's a right. It's for them to discover and interpret the way that they should, right? And not, you know. So, so that's that's my hope with this tool is to to be able to just open the conversation because I know it's so hard for adoptive parents. You know, I. I worked in adoption for a long time and it would be like, oh, so how do we bring it up? Like, I don't know when, what age is right? You know, so many questions as to what's the right time. Mm-hmm. And the right time is the time that they ask. And then you say, go get that one little book. We're going to read that and we're going to spend time on that. I love that you yep. did that for us, a, a great resource for, for parents. Let's talk about when you started to search for your family, your biological family. So, I had my fantasy, which um, most adoptive kids have of, um, I believe anyway, uh, that, you know, so I had this, this picture in my mind of this, you know, uh, 16 year old girl that had this baby, uh, you know, because children can make up what they want. 
forgetting the fact that there was, um, that she'd given birth before and that that baby was kept by the family. I just had this vision in my mind. And when I was uh, 22, I had uh, my biologic, my first biological child. And at that moment, I needed to know more. I needed, I had some complications at her birth and I thought, I started thinking, well, is this genetic? Like, is there, does she have any genetic concerns? Uh, you know, in fact, when I was in labor, I looked at my husband and said, oh my God, it just occurred to me. Like, I don't even know what's in the history. We don't know what this baby might look like or be like when, when they're born. So there was a whole lot at the act of having my first daughter and um, so that's when I really started this, this search. But um, in, even then, information was so slim. But I did find out the birth mother, she was 22 when I was born. I was 22 when I had my daughter. Mm. So that threw me for a loop. She wasn't 16 years old. She wasn't 16, um, you know, but uh, that, that really threw me, I have to admit. Um, so, cause I thought, well, if I could have this, get married and have this baby and, you know, mm. quote unquote, do everything the right way, I don't understand, mm-hmm. you know? And then the second shock was that the baby born before me was actually a, a female child, um, and was also placed for adoption. So what had happened was, so our birth mother's mother had had a baby, a few months, a baby boy, a few months before, uh, our birth mother had my sister. And so that's the confusion. I don't believe any worker misled my parents. I think it was just because nothing was in writing. Everything was verbal. Mm -hmm. So, right, I just think um, things were just confusing. So I was raised believing boys were better than girls. Um, And in fact, you know, it impacted even on, on my brother's relationship and mine because I always tried to outdo him just in case my parents had to pick between us. If they were going to send someone back, I assumed it would be the girl because boys were, were, you know, much more valued according to the fact that, well, not the fact, but what I thought was the fact that um, a baby had, baby boy had been born and kept by the birth family. So a lot of messed up messages that through no one's fault that I was raised with. Mm. And so, so, so finding out that it was a girl was awesome. At the, and uh, by coincidence at that time, uh, the Ontario laws had changed where I could get more information. And so I was able to um, uh, put my name on a register to, uh, and if, so at those days, if she put her name on the register and I put my name on the register, then we were matched and we were allowed to have contact. And that did happen with us. So then the worker uh, at the time from the, uh, from the government um, had, uh, you know, when I spoke with them about, you know, connecting with this, with this person again i still believed that you know uh, that i was still under the impression that um this baby may have been kept by the family and so was the government worker so uh as it turned out she wasn't she was adopted by by what they call adopted by strangers when that worker called i think there's an interesting piece when that worker called uh her her call was quite excited and she said uh, oh guess what it's a boy. It's not a boy. It's a baby girl. And the baby girl was adopted by strangers. And guess what her name is? Absolutely stunned me uh, of all the thousands of names in the world um, to, to imagine what her name was. Uh, I just thought it was a silly thing to even said to have said. 
So anyway, um, so I said to her, I have no idea what her name is. Uh, could you please tell me? And so she said, her name is Lynn too. Isn't that neat? <laughs> but I have to say the last thing I would describe that is neat. I would describe that as very sad that two girls uh, mm-hmm. who are sisters, half sisters, but still sisters have the same name. And someone thinks that's neat. Um, I, but it was spelled differently. So, uh, so after 30 years of knowing each other, uh, Lynn and I, you know, that's what we say is, so we're both named Lynn, but hers is spelled with an E. So you can tell us apart. <laughs> completely so <we> different, just, <laughs> completely different. <laughs> we just, we just put a slide. Yeah, it's right. You know, so, so, uh, you know what I have learned is when you tell people information, you might try to guess how they're going to respond, right? Because Lynn and Lynn, right? Is such a crazy coincidence. It really is. Right. But at that point, you felt sadness. And I don't think that woman yeah. was anticipating that you would feel sad, but she wasn't anticipating that you would feel anything but how she thought you should feel. Right. That's what I've learned yeah, through the show is I might think somebody, when they learn information, would feel this way. And then I found that actually they feel completely different. And it's just important to listen to how they feel. Exactly. It's like when people tell you, you know, what a great service you have done to your, for your children. Mm. To be, I'm pretty sure there's days your children don't feel you're doing them a very good service at all. Yes, I met someone who came into our church and he was pretty uh, big name and they had an adopted child and I was talking to the mother and she was telling me all the things about her child. Well, her child was a teenager, so it wasn't like she was a little girl. And I listened to the story and I turned to her and I said, but how do you feel about that? And the mother looked at me like in shock and she looked at me in shock. Like no one had ever asked her, how do you feel about the story she just told me? Right. And she kind of stumbled over her words, but I thought we're not asking, how do you feel about that? Your sister's name is Lynn. I think that's crazy. But what do you think about that? In fact, her response is what led you to become an adoption worker. Is that true? Pretty much. It. Uh, I, I was just. I was in kind of in the field uh, at that at when when this was going on. So that didn't help either. Um, she didn't know that. Uh, I kept that to myself on purpose. Um, so so I was kind of doing a similar job to what she was doing. So that even made it more difficult for me to. Uh, I mean, what my my response. I think I shared that with you before. My response to her was. Well, what that tells me, it's very neat because you don't need to worry about which one of us you're speaking to. You have the right person and the right name. Did she laugh? What did she do? No, she didn't really respond to that. Um, So I'm not quite sure she got it. But uh, anyway, it was just, yeah. So, you know, and, and even like think of the awkwardness of introducing each other to other people like when we met. So how do I say this to my sister, Lynn? Right. right. So the so before I can even say that, I have to go ahead and explain everything. Like that's just sad. And and even you know for her, like people, a lot of people thought she was my sister in law, mm, not my okay. sister, unless they knew the unless they knew the story, right? But uh, you know, and then we got a lot of the Daryl, my other brother Daryl, <laughs> coming back at us. Um, you know, no surprise, but uh, but because people's discomfort. But mm-hmm. yeah, so so it's hard to even like even that. And then we met when we, you know, fast forward and we met our birth mother's sisters and we're both named Lynn. How awkward is that? 
Oh my it's, goodness. It's, okay, it's wait. Awkward. So you called her. Is that how you first reached out? Um, so we were connected. Uh, we did letters first. So what happened was you had to go in and sign a consent to the, the Children's Aid Society. And uh, so then they could release information. So there was, so she was, um, she had done all that. And then they reached out to me and uh, I had to reach my local agency and do that. So I had to go in and sign, um, sign the consent. And even there, you know, you're just getting back to your point of be careful how you approach people because not everybody is like you or excited like you think. And mm-hmm. so the worker who, who, so I signed the consent and she immediately put out this array of pictures of my, my sister and her children and her husband. And again, I was just gobsmacked. I, I would have preferred to look at those by myself mm-hmm. on my own terms and, you know, with people that I knew and cared about, like I'd rather have gone home and just sat down with that, those pictures because you're looking at me and judging what my response is. And that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I probably did the whole placating of, you know, smile. Oh, thanks for the information. And, you know, you know, touchy feely stuff of, uh, and I know I'm a social worker. I do the touchy feely stuff, but uh, it was just so uncomfortable. Does she look like you? Everyone else's excitement. Right. Nope. You guys don't look like. uh, I mean, people say we have the same, like we have the same eyes and things like that. She obviously looks more like whoever her birth dad is. Um, I know that I'm this pretty much and, uh, pretty much the, almost a spitting image of our birth mother. Really? Which, oh yeah, hugely. Okay. So before we jump ahead to meeting the family, so you meet Lynn and what's her story as far as her adoption? So Lynn was placed, um, in Cochrane actually. Uh, she was placed in Cochrane for about five months. At, at birth and um, was uh, unfortunately uh, quite neglected uh, in that placement and so was removed um, and had a number of medical issues and things as a result of that. Uh, so she was placed back in foster care and eventually was adopted by those foster parents. So she, you know, she didn't bounce around after that or anything, which is awesome. Uh, and then they uh, moved to Western Canada. So, uh, so she left the community, left the area, all that kind of thing, which, you know, fast forward, she, I was eventually adopted in the same community. Could you imagine we would have grown up in the same town? Lynn and Lynn, right? Right. Yeah. Was your birth mother still alive? Uh, when Lynn and I met? Yes. She was still alive. Yes. So Lynn was entitled to a search. And so she searched for birth mother and birth mother declined. Um, because, uh, her explanation was that, uh, the, uh, her husband knew about us, but, uh, her children did not, her adult children did not. And she was not comfortable in disclosing that information to her adult children. So she did send us updated medical in, uh, information, which we had requested and also a photograph, uh, not a recent one, but one of about the age that she was when we were born. And, uh, that's why I saw the similarity very quickly once we saw that picture. So she, uh, she just wasn't able to meet with us, which, uh, you know, we, we struggled. Um, we struggled with that decision 
because uh, it's, uh, you know, we felt it's one thing to choose an adoption plan, but it's another to say no to the adult, mm-hmm. um, you know, but uh, thankfully we had each other and we were able to get each other through it. Yeah. It would have been a much harder road. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Lynn with an E was much more heartbroken than yourself. Is that true? She was. She was. Uh, Lynn lost her adoptive mother young. Um, so she, you know, my mom was still here with us and is still to this day here with us, but, uh, her, her mom had passed away when she was a teenager. So I think that was a contributing Mm -hmm. factor. I think she would agree with that as well. Um, so not that she was looking for a mother necessarily, but I just think she wanted that connection. Right. Yeah. We, we saw it way differently. Birth sisters are not. (laughs) Right. Now birth mom had gone on to have a family, but did you find out why she placed? Um, no, and uh, I found out in the in the recent past, uh, kind of what her rationale was. Um, so with her, with the with my sister Lynn, she had really no choice, right? She was uh, underage. There was a lot. Um, there, her family was immigrants, and. Uh, so she had the baby placed the baby for adoption. That just was, was done. With me, uh, she went to an older brother and uh, the older brother, they made arrangements for her to go to a home for unwed mothers so that they could hide the pregnancy for me. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's, so she, she had me in this home for unwed mother. And then the minute she almost, as soon as she returned back to her own community, they, uh, the family moved. Wow. Because um, in those days, there was a lot of shame, right? Right. To uh, unwed, uh, unwed pregnancies. So, the, so they, the family moved, actually. And weirdly, uh, the birth father, my birth father and my birth mother lived in the same community for a while. And I, to this day, wonder if they ever went into the grocery store at the same time and saw each other. That would have been kind of neat. Oh, my goodness. But I'll never know. Yeah. Did you ever <laughs> yeah. meet your birth father? I did meet my birth father. I met him. So what happened was with the Ontario government, um, when the birth mother refused to meet us, um, we were entitled to a secondary search. And so um, I took advantage of that and did a secondary search. And they did find um, my birth father. And uh, he was awesome about everything. He, uh, accepted, uh, he accepted me for who I was. He was able to... Uh, talk a little bit about my birth mother, but not much. Um, you know, it was he was working for a railway and uh, just kind of was there for a few weeks and had that had relation had a relationship with her. Um, was very very respectful about all of that, and uh, so he had gone on. So while I was, uh, she was at the home front with mother. So he was never told about the pregnancy. Oh, okay. Um, and when uh. When she was at the home for unwed mothers, he uh, had no idea. He was notified. And when she left me there, um, he was also not notified. Um, but in the meantime, he had met the woman who would become his wife. And she had a little girl who was born a few months uh, before me. And uh, so he raised uh, the stepdaughter while his own baby was uh, placed for adoption with strangers. So he was really ticked off about that when, uh, when we met. But I mean, it's out of our hands and we are who we are today because of our experiences. So, right. but uh, yeah, so he, he was just wonderful. He lived so far 
so I only got to see him a few times. Um, and uh, he has since passed away. But it was uh, it was neat to get in, get to know him. And he didn't know uh, anything about you before you reached out? No idea. Oh, my goodness. No idea. And in fact, when they first called him, he explained to the worker that, um, the worker that called him, that in those days, single guys would lend their name to uh, the married guy. So at first, he didn't think that I was his child, but he was even willing to try to figure out who it would be which was very gracious of him wow. because he misunderstood. I was born in Hawkesbury, Ontario, and I was conceived in a Northern Ontario community. And so he had, he knew he had not had relations with anyone in Hawkesbury, Ontario. So he figured maybe he had lent his name, but then because the worker wasn't clear with him. So when we actually, when he called me, that's, you know, how, how giving this man was, he was prepared to explain all of that to me and try to figure out who my birth father was. Uh, and then it ended and, up being uh, him. It, turned, it was him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I said where um, the, the conception would have happened, then he, it occurred to him right away. So that was kind of neat. But uh, I just thought that showed who he is as a, as an individual, mm-hmm. you know, that he would have helped me regardless, you know, to try to locate whoever my birth father was. Yeah. So, I mean, he was left out of the loop. And you and Lynn decided that if your birth mother ever passed away, that you wanted to find if you had siblings or to meet the siblings? That's right. So we knew she had other children because she had told the government that, right? And uh, so we said, uh, we made a pact that if we ever find out, if we ever find her, because we uh, eventually, and, and this is all over years because the Ontario government laws kept changing in our favor. So we were able to get her name eventually. And so once we had her name, we just, well, Lynn more than I was vigilantly checking obituaries all the time, all the time, all the time. And when the obituary was there, she called me and said, are you sitting down? Uh, She's passed away. And uh, so she, you know, read the the obituary and and gave me the information. She's like, well, I'm going to call one of the brothers, meaning the birth mother's brothers. And I'm like, no, hell no. One of those birth, birth brothers told her, not to have anything to do with us in the first place. Like that was part of the reason why she said no. And uh, so I said, no, her kids are our siblings and they have a right to know about us. They're all grown up. So let's, let's reach out to them. And we did. And what had happened was our birth mother's husband upon her death had said to the girls, there's four sisters had said to them that, Oh, by the way, there's two more girls. You'll find some stuff about that in your mother's thing. And uh, so, so they knew. So when uh, Lynn contacted one of the uh, sisters, she said, okay, you know what? You're actually making sense with something our dad told us. And so they met, as a sibling said, and they talked to the dad. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Moving forward, we, uh, yeah, we met them. They're, uh, they're awesome. And you look just like their mother. So, yeah, so I, I kind of saw the resemblance in that one little picture, but um, they, I don't know how to describe it. And, uh, you know, respectfully to them, they, they know I've said this before. Like, it was just a bit strange because they, they just kept, like, looking over at me. And if I talk, it would get really quiet. So apparently I have a very deep voice, as you know. Uh, she did as well. Um, so the mannerisms and, yeah, I definitely... Uh, they had sent a couple of pictures that I said, oh, my God, you for sure can tell 
that that is my birth mother. And I would send it to friends, you know, and they'd be like, oh, my God. So the resemblance is actually quite striking. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that it's amazing. I love the relationship that you and Lynn with an E have and also meeting all of the family and you and a sister teamed up to write a book. We did. We did. So when I retired, I'll, I'll quickly just give you the background. When, when I retired, I wanted to make a handout for my agency um, because I could never find a resource to do what, what I hope the book will accomplish. And um, so I reached out to Krista Donnelly, who is uh, the youngest of the sibling set, because I knew she was a talented graphic artist. And I said, I have this little project in my retirement. Could you draw me a butterfly and a caterpillar? And listen, April, when she sent me those two little characters, that was it. The book kind of wrote itself. It just took on a life of its own. Um, so we teamed up and we learned so much. Uh, we benefited by the, the, not necessarily by the book, but by being on the phone with each other. She learned about what it was like to be adopted. And I learned what it was like to find out you had two sisters when you were growing up that you never knew existed. So it was uh, a very, very rich, enriching experience. That's amazing. Where can people get your book? So they can get the book um, through Amazon. Um, it's published through Freezen Press. Um, it, it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Online. Um, pretty much, if they, if um, am I able to give you my website? Yes, for please. People to check it out. Okay, so it's www. What is your story book? Dot com. And there's links to the book and all of that there. Um, in the book, there are activities that divide the pages. And um, frankly, I hadn't thought of sibling sets and I hadn't thought of, you know, multiple uses of the book. So I have put those activities on my website so people can download them and print them uh, at no cost. But it's, you know, the book is the, the, the one thing that I think is important is that the book has uh, insects as characters. Um, they're very cute and very endearing. Um, but that is done because I, out of respect for culture and uh, out of respect for um, the fact that there is no genetics here. There's, it could be a single parent. It could be two moms, two dads, you know, grandma, grandpa. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, the, the books that I would always look at with, with, kids that I was working with regarding adoption, often the child would say to me, oh, but that's not like my family or, you know, so mm -hmm. I, we've done that on purpose. We want it to be a relatable book. Yeah. So it can so, reach everyone. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Lynn. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you would like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. If you want to donate to Adoption Now, we are a nonprofit. You can donate through Facebook by clicking on the donate button. You can also subscribe to get our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode. <laughs>